Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs creating the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm Emily Aborn, and along with my co-host, Crystal Farley, we are here to give you the roadmap to success and the tools you need to build whatever this means for you. Welcome back, everyone, and happy Wednesday. I have some exciting news today, as the spoiler alert of a trailer told you. I have my new co-host, Crystal Farley, with me today. Welcome, Crystal. Welcome to me. Thank you. Are you so so excited? Oh, yeah, yeah. It is exciting. Yeah. There's really nothing else to say about it except exciting. (laughs) Um, Did you have a nice drive in, Crystal? I did. You know, I was thinking um, when I drove in today on the um, closed road that is now a dirt road that I hadn't been over here since we recorded the podcast together. And when I was walking up into the podcast house... Um, it's just stunning. It's absolutely beautiful. It was out here very in peaceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful I, morning. I agree. I was a little chilly on my walk today. Oh, I have to tell you, it's hunting season now. So I think, or you know, you just want to be mindful of those things. So I brought my dog out back this morning, and I put on his little orange bandana. It was just cute as a button. When you go for a walk, do you have to worry about hunting season? I'm not sure. I would think not, but we go for hikes like way, 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 way back. He chased a porcupine, if that gives you an idea of where I live. Oh, yeah. Up a tree. I live in the city, apparently. Yes. Because I don't worry about any of that. But we do have black bears. Really? Yeah. In my, what seems to be a 55-year-old and up community, we have black bears. It's really exciting when they come out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to tell you, you look a little uh, old. (laughs) (laughs) I fit in Um, nicely. (laughs) Crystal, have you ever been a part of Toastmasters? No. Never been to one? Never. It's pretty cool. It's obviously to teach you how to be a public speaker. Um, I was part of it like 10, 15 years ago. Actually, that's how I met my producer, Mike Clark, through someone that I went to Toastmasters with. It was really awesome. And then I told my parents about it. And now they're like Toastmasters addicts. But you know what I didn't like about it? It was always just a little too businessy for me. And I like to have a little more fun when I'm public speaking. I have actually heard that about Toastmasters. Um, We when I was deployed, actually, in Afghanistan, I took a public speaking course. So I've never taken anything else because I've done so much of it, like just from an education and experience standpoint. But I've heard that it's um, very businessy, very education-like, and even just sometimes it can be dominated to gender or that sort of thing. So it never really seemed like your you thing. Know, my thing yeah. either. Yeah. So the reason I brought up Toastmasters is because our guest today is Angela Lucier. She is an award-winning speaker, six-time author, two-time TEDx presenter, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood. And I can't wait for her to tell us about that. It's actually a network of public speaking clubs for women. Um, she hosts her own podcast, Claim the Stage, which is a public speaking podcast, which I believe you have been on. I have. And she has been on yours as well. Yes, she has. So you guys already know each other, which is fantastic. She was also, her podcast was rated number one on Inspiring Podcasts by Forbes in 2017. And she's a contributor to Huffington Post. Her work has also been featured on ABC, NBC, Forbes, Virgin, and Entrepreneur. And I love her motto. It's stop waiting, start creating. Angela, welcome. Thanks. Nice to be here. 
sorry we talked so much without you. <laughs> She's sitting over there like, am I part of this podcast or just? <laughs> no, I was just thinking about the family of skunks living under my back porch and how I feel like I live in the wilderness, but I really don't. So every time I open the back door, I'm like, am I going to get sprayed? I don't know. I have this so- love-hate for skunks, though, because they are so cute. They are cute. Like I've never adorable. even I've never even thought of it that way because of the smell. I hate it. But you my husband loves the smell of skunks. Oh. Yeah, it's very weird. But anyway, enough <laughs> about that. <laughs> Angela, why don't you tell us about what the speaker sisterhood is and also how you got started? I absolutely love your story. Oh, thank you. Well, Speaker Sisterhood, as you said, it's a network of public speaking clubs for women and It came to be a little over three years ago, and when I was starting it, my original intention was to build a space for women who wanted to become professional speakers and were looking for a place to practice speaking. So I kind of just wrote a press release and made a flyer and sent a, a couple little social media posts out saying, hey, if you're a woman and you're interested in getting better at public speaking, come check out this open house and we'll see what it becomes. And these 12 women showed up and we went around the circle and I asked them why they were there and what they wanted to learn. And as we went around the circle, I realized, oh, wow, actually nobody is here to become a professional speaker. They're all here for totally different reasons. Like one woman has been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years and is re-entering the workforce and wants to build up her communication skills. And another woman is here because she feels belittled at work and she wants to speak up for herself. Another woman feels really awkward and weird networking and wants to feel more comfortable while she's speaking one-on-one with people. And as I'm hearing all these stories, I'm thinking, oh, um, speaker sisterhood is actually quite a universal place that can help so many women with so many things in their life. And bottom line, it's all about building confidence and speaking up and being like proud of who you are in all kinds of situations. And it really quickly took off because it, it has, it's a community for women who want to do this really difficult work and take on the most difficult skill out there of public speaking or the scariest skill, I should say. And um, it's now become a nationwide network of clubs that really creates a space for women who want to show up and do this difficult work because they see a bigger dream for themselves, whether it's in their professional life or their relationships or just their creative life, being able to express themselves is such a key part of that. And just to back up even more, you know, people always say to me, well, you're so lucky that you were born with the skill of public speaking. And I often laugh when I hear that because I, that really couldn't be farther from the truth. <laughs> I was, I, when I was growing up, I was super shy. And the reason for that is because I am six feet tall today. And if you met me when I was 12, I was also six feet tall. And being six feet tall and a girl when you're that age is a traumatic experience, to say the least, because you're taller than everybody else, including the boys, and you stand out. And I was often made fun of and called the Jolly Green Giant, and I was called an ogre and a monster. And, you know, I would ask boys to dance at the dance, and they would just run away screaming. (laughs) And at that time, it was humiliating, and it was... um, it just, it made me ashamed of who I was. And so my response to that was to hide and become invisible and do everything I could to not be in the spotlight. And that meant not speaking and not only not speaking to friends and teachers, but obviously not public speaking. So in college, I had that same 
operating mode and that worked out really well. But when I got to my first job after college, I realized that the invisible mindset and, you know, the disappearing act I was doing was not a good career strategy at all. It was like, if I want to stand out and I want to get promoted, I have to actually show my ideas. I have to speak up in meetings. I have to participate and not just sit on the sidelines and wait for people to notice me. And I joined Toastmasters when I was 25 and it was life changing because it was the first time I had to actually stand in front of a group of people and be seen and be heard and do it um, voluntarily and fight through that shyness and the social anxiety and the fear of being rejected. And it was terrifying. I cried constantly (laughs) and I would, I kept saying to myself, why am I going to this? Why am I putting myself through this? But it was that transformation that came from speaking up and realizing that I had important things to say that changed my life and helped me to see that I could be an entrepreneur and I could be an author and I could be a public speaker. And I didn't have to be afraid anymore because the stories I was telling myself were just that they were just stories and I had to work through them in order to see what was on the other side. And uh, 10 years later, I realized other women might want to learn this skill too, and maybe Toastmasters isn't for them. So that's when I started Speaker Sisterhood, and the rest is history. And it's really just grown. Tell us how how many chapters you have. Uh, Well, we started around uh, 40 chapters so far, and about 25 are still in existence. And I share that because when you have a startup, a brand new business that you're kind of making up every single day, there's a lot to learn about what works and what doesn't and how to be effective and how to do it right so that you get the best results. And we learned a lot by launching those 40 clubs in the first couple of years and learning about what kind of club leaders we're looking for in terms of like skill set and personality and making sure that they have the time available Um, not launching too many clubs too quickly because we need to be able to support them. And so now we have these, these 25 clubs that are in, you know, Kentucky, California, Maine, Massachusetts, Connecticut, um, Virginia, and we're learning from every club we start about what makes them successful, how we can help the members the most and what, what makes this special and different versus other options for building the skill. Do you feel like every club, depending on where it is geographically located, kind of takes on a life of its own? Yeah, absolutely. And it's more than the location. It's about the club leader because each club leader comes to the opportunity with her own experiences and her own credentials. So for instance, we have a club leader who is a mindfulness meditation teacher, and she brings meditation to her meetings. And for the first couple of minutes, they sit and they close their eyes. And she sometimes does a guided visualization, or she just does some sort of, you know, meditation music and gives everyone that opportunity to have some quiet in their day. And that's not really part of the speaker sisterhood curriculum, but that's her. So she brings that personality to her club. Why do you think so many people are afraid of public speaking? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is biological. It's really, it goes back like millions of years to when we were developing, our brains were developing and our amygdala, the oldest part of the brain was really in charge of our um, survival, you know, so that's our stress response, the fight or flight response. And when you get up to speak in front of the room 
your fight or flight response is immediately triggered because what happens is when you stand up in front of everybody, you've now separated yourself from the group and your mind thinks if you're not part of the group, you've made yourself more susceptible to being eaten by a big hairy animal. And it's a super old prehistoric thought, but it's, it's in there and it's what helped us to survive so for so long. So we have to recognize that that fear we get when we go to give a speech is really just about trying not to get eaten. <laughs> and it's not, it does not apply to today's society at all. And I can tell you that because I've given over 700 presentations and I've never once been eaten. But our, our brain thinks that we are really in danger of being attacked by an animal and being taken down. So we have to recognize that fear and we have to, rather than overcome it, like this weird language that we see everywhere of like, you know, punch your fear in the face, overcome your fear. Um, we don't need to do that because you can't do that. Like every time you speak, you're going to have the same fight or flight response. So the best thing to do is to invite your fear and befriend your fear and recognize that it's going to be part of the experience. So make it a little easier on yourself by just saying to your fear, hey, come along with me. Don't run the show. I'm going to be in charge, but I know that you're going to be here. So let's just be together in harmony instead of in opposition, which is uh, how a lot of people see it. And maybe reminding yourself that, you know, even though you're standing in front of the pack, you're still part of the pack. Like they chose you to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a good point. We know we often, we want to impress the audience. We want to entertain them. We want to be the best. We want to be perfect. We want to be the guru. It's so much pressure to put all that on your shoulders. But if you instead think I'm here to be in service to the group and I'm here to share and to just add value it makes the whole experience a lot less stress-inducing and a little bit more fun. And if we can just start out with that mindset, public speaking isn't quite so scary. That was, you know, when I came on the podcast, we talked a lot about self-care and mindful ways of reducing stress when public speaking. And we talked a little bit about how people are more scared of public speaking than dying. And, yeah. you know, that is just... For, for myself, you know, I just think that there are better ways <laughs> um, to sort of overcome that, that pressure. But, you know, speaking of pressure, we talk a lot about the expectations we place on ourselves or on other people, right? And so we had talked about how um, when you get up on, and on stage and you're the subject matter expert on a topic, we are thinking in our minds, the story we're telling ourselves is that the audience is expecting us to be perfect, and that's not reality. They're coming to see us and, and see you speak. So they're not actually expecting anything but for you to be you. And I think for me, like that's a really huge way of trying to overcome some of those butterflies that might get in my stomach before I public speak because expectations are not always realistic. So Crystal yeah. had called me on her, on her way here and she said that she was going to be running a couple minutes late. And I was like, oh, good. I love when people are late because it shows me that they're not perfect because you know, when people are sitting out there five minutes early, I'm like, man, that person has this all together and I do not. <laughs> so I think showing your flaws is actually like a way to help the audience connect with you even more. Right. We're all mm -hmm. human. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually been studies done that show if you go to walk up on stage and you fall, your audience will actually like you more. Noted. And yeah. <laughs> so don't be afraid of that. And people always ask me, is it okay to drink water while you're speaking? I'm like, yes, because you're a human being, you're not a robot and people don't expect you to just like operate like you don't have needs. <laughs> so it's okay to do things like that. 
You know, it's it's funny that you say that because I I do often think about that. Like, well, if you know, if I fall or or whatever. But I also wouldn't recommend like visualizing yourself falling. I would imagine visualizing yourself speaking, you know, grandly to people and like you know, ex- like visualizing what you want to happen, not what you're scared of happening. Because I feel like the more you focus on like something really bad happen, it's probably going to happen. <laughs> so this this brings me to a question I have for you, Angela. Um, what's your pre stage ritual or rituals? Um, I have a couple. One is exercising. I have a lot of anxiety that I need to manage. And I realized, especially in the last couple months, now that I'm a new mom and I've had a lot of postpartum anxiety, that exercise is so critical to my well-being. And if I don't have that energy release, I don't sleep. I ruminate on everything. I overthink everything. And it makes everything a lot harder to just flow. So I, I like to go for walks. I like to do yoga. I like to go out into nature. That's really important to me. I also try to eat really healthy meals, like maybe up to, up to three hours before I speak, making sure I have good food. That's kind of on the lighter side. I once once did a speech at a, a steakhouse for a group of professional, it was like a professional association of accountants. And they're like, we do a big steak dinner. And then the speaker gets up and speaks. And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> I had this big steak dinner. And then I get up to speak. I'm like, can we do a quick nap? Just like a 20 minute nap. And then I'll be right back. <laughs> um but I, I think that's a really important piece is making sure you don't overeat. Like I, I try to just have like, you know, a light sandwich or salad. You know, I, I, I practice as much as I can, but I don't want to overthink it to the point that I'm like worried about every single word that's going to come out of my mouth and, you know, fear the worst if I don't have every single piece memorized. So I just make sure I have a general idea of everything I'm going to say and just like leave it as it is and just stop practicing like a couple hours beforehand. When people have social tics, like saying, um, like, uh, sure. <laughs> I always say, yeah. I love that. Does that like really drive you insane? <laughs> <laughs> if it's overused, I notice it pretty quickly. You know, there's this one, uh, speaker I saw recently who said, um, in between every single sentence and it's okay to use, um, sparingly, but if you use it that frequently, it becomes really pronounced and really hard to pay attention to everything in between the ums because you're just starting to notice this repetitive sound. So if it is excessive, it is a problem. But if you're using like and so in a in a conversational sense, then it's fine because it just it's rolling along and it sounds natural. So there's two things you can do if you find that you do overuse words. One is to record yourself giving a speech, whether it's to yourself in the car or an actual speech in front of an audience, and then listen back for filler words and common phrases like, I love that. <laughs> and I also have a podcast episode on that I did with Audrey Mann Cronin, who is the creator of an app called Like So. It's episode 49.5. It's the only episode I have that's like a half episode, but <laughs> we talk all about the filler words and her app tracks words. So if you put use her app while you're speaking, it'll tell you how many times you said every word. That is every awesome. I love yeah, that. We need to get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fun. What's your best story from being on stage? You must have some really good ones. <laughs> you mean like embarrassing stories or? Okay, sure. <laughs> well, I guess the most embarrassing story was about Uh, I think it was a year ago, I was in New York and I was speaking to the New York mayors 
And it was kind of a random audience. I mostly speak to like women's conferences and they had called and asked me to come and talk about public speaking. And the point I was making in my talk was that you can make any topic funny. And when you can add humor to your speech, it helps people to grasp what you're saying because it's more interesting to them. And this one mayor raises his hand and he said, how do you make 9-11 funny? And I was like, well, you can make it funny. And the whole room just gasped. And then my face turned bright red. And it was like, if, if they had tomatoes, they would have thrown them at me. And I was like, what, what, what I mean is, and then someone cut me off and said, so what do you do when your first, when your face turns red on stage and just totally changed the subject (laughs) and started talking about that. And I blushed really easily. So then I just started talking about that and I went back to the speech and I never got to address what I meant about how to make why 9-11 could be funny. And after the fact, I was so embarrassed and I felt like I wasn't being um, sensitive to all the people who, you know, were affected and the families and all these communities. And what I wanted to say was you can, you can talk about difficult subjects and put them in a, a better light by talking about opportunities that come from tragedy. And I just never got to, but I still think about that. And I just like, I cringe at myself because I'm like, I really should have started that sentence differently. <laughs> So that was probably one of my worst, most humiliating moments. But probably one of your biggest learning experiences. Yes, as they always are. (laughs) Right, right. That's tough. But your response is noted and now recorded. Yeah, exactly. You should play this back to all of them. I should. (laughs) I'll send them the, the podcast episode. So, you know, you said that Toastmasters was where you figured out that you um, were, you wanted to speak, you know, speak up for yourself and get promoted and stand out and get better for your career and that sort of thing. And I know that there are a lot of different reasons why women will join your club, um, the Speaker Sisterhood. But in thinking about that, how did you get to be a nationwide club? Like, did you start locally and then notice that you were able to sort of grow here and then scale? What did that look like? Because your reach is, you're empowering women across the United States. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. And originally I thought I'll create one club in my community in Western Massachusetts and I'll just see how it goes. And after that first meeting I was telling you about the open house, I got emails almost every day from women saying, hey, my cousin was at that meeting and she told me about it. It sounds really cool. How do I check it out? And then a message from a coworker of of one of the women who showed up and saying, can I come to the next meeting? And you know, how, how big is this group? And can I invite my sister? And I started to really quickly realize that I had a lot more women interested um, than space I had available in the in the club. So I thought, all right, I'll start a second club. So I did that. And then a couple of months later, I had a, a big enough waiting list to start a third club because the clubs only hold 15 women. I purposely wanted to keep them small to create an intimate community where you can get to know each person and build trust that way. And in the first three months, I had three clubs, and then I quickly had four clubs. And I'm like, okay, I have to have more women involved in running these clubs because I can't run them myself. And I also don't, I don't want to prohibit the growth of this because I'm only one person. And at that time, I was in a business accelerator, like a, a kind of like a business boot camp, and. I went to one of the women who was running it and I said, how do I grow this? And she goes, oh, do a licensing model. And I was immediately like, what? 
And I, I just thought of McDonald's, like McDonald's just ran into my head and I was like, I'm, look, I'm not McDonald's. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, no, you don't have to be McDonald's. Just, like, just find out how to license your content and you can, you can have licensees run your clubs for you. And that whole concept just totally freaked me out. Cause I was so used to being a solo business owner running everything myself, having total control. And all I could imagine was like all of these people showing up and like running out into the streets and like ruining my brand and taking off with all my content. And I started like having like nightmares about all the worst things that could happen. But then I started to realize, actually, if I want to grow this and help more women, I, I can't do it by myself. So I have to find more women to help me that I can trust and just hope that if I have all the you know paperwork in place, this will work out. And, and then I started to imagine the process of creating a license and what that looked like. And I just imagined myself sitting in a conference room with 12 lawyers around this huge conference room table for six months with like stacks of paperwork that were three feet tall and paying like $50,000 to get a licensing agreement together. And I was like, oh, that's gonna, that's not going to work. I don't have that kind of money or that kind of time or even that awareness of what would go into a licensing agreement. So that stopped me again for a couple more months. <laughs> and then one you day have a, thought, You well, have a very vivid imagination. Yeah, the stories are the amazing. Things, <laughs> with all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> I know. I it's, it's, it's like amazing that I get anything done. <laughs> But I decided to just pick up the phone and call a lawyer because it's possible that my imagination was not accurate and in line with reality. So I found a lawyer in a town nearby who does licensing and I called her and I told her what I wanted to do. And she's like, all right, well, come into my office and we can talk about it some more. I went into her office. I was there for 20 minutes. And at the end of the 20 minutes, she said, yeah, I can build you a licensing agreement. I could get it done for you by next Friday. It'll you know, costs about $1,200 and, um, it'll be about four or five pages long. And I just stared at her. I was like, wait for like the first part. And she's like, no, the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> Are you serious? Let this be like, a lesson to us all. <laughs> at least do the research before we right. kibosh yeah. it with our stories. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I walked out of there. I'm like, how could I have not even, like, if I didn't make that phone call, Speaker Sisterhood wouldn't be uh, uh, what it is today at all. It, like, it wouldn't even be close to it. And I realized the only thing standing between me being a local entity and a national brand is $1,200 in a week of time. Can I make that investment? I think so. So I, I hired her. She wrote the contract. And really quickly, we started growing. And we built a whole club leader training academy, put together our training manual, put together our curriculum created a structure for all the meetings, built out the brand, and just kept on building the machine. And uh, now we're just continuing that growth. That's what I was going to ask. So, you know, I mean, franchises, you know, you said you're not McDonald's, and that's funny. But if anybody's read the E-Myth, I mean, franchises are the most successful businesses because they do have procedures and they do have handbooks and structure and all of that stuff. So what can someone expect when they come to one of your meetings? As a member? Yes. Um, well, every meeting is the same. So when they show up, they get a short orientation from the club leaders, just kind of sharing with her what it's about, why the club leader signed up, what they can expect from the meeting. And then the meeting starts and there is a quick check-in. And that means that the club leader comes up with some sort of question to just give everyone a chance to speak for 30 or 60 seconds, something like, what was the best part of your day? Or tell us one thing you did over the weekend that you really loved. 
And that gives everyone just that chance to kind of be in the room and hear from each other and use their voice in a really simple way. And then we do a game or we call it get up and move. And that's another chance to get out of your head and get into your body a little bit more and have some fun and just be together as a community. So sometimes we'll do an improv game. Sometimes it's yoga. Other times it's a skill building game that helps you become a better speaker, like something to do with eye contact. And after that, we have featured speakers get up and they are five members who got a, who signed up at the last meeting to give speeches. And over the last two weeks, have been working on their speeches out of the curriculum. And those speeches are ranged from five minutes to 12 minutes long. And then they get feedback from the group. They get both verbal feedback and written feedback from everybody. And then we do freestyle, which is a chance to give a two-minute speech impromptu. And the prompt is created by the club leader. And sometimes those are also games from improv that just help you to think on your feet. And we laugh a lot. We cry a lot. It's just it's a chance to be silly. It's a chance to be serious. It's a chance to talk about stuff you never get to talk about in other places in your life and to tell stories and to get better at articulating your thoughts, being vulnerable with your feelings. You know, a lot of speakers get up on stage and they immediately apologize if a tear comes to their eye. And what we train in Speaker Sisterhood is that your emotions are a gift to the audience. So don't hide them and don't be ashamed of them. And that's so different from what so many of us are taught, especially at work. Like you don't want to show vulnerability because it could be weakness, but really it's about strength and power and connection. And that's what Speaker Sisterhood is all about. So we spend time at the end of every meeting doing reflections and talking about what everyone's learning as a result of doing the work and how their lives are changing. And that's one of my favorite parts of the community is being able to hear women say, like, I've been a freelancer for three years and I've always undersold myself and charged less than I thought I was worth. And for the first time ever, I have enough confidence to ask for the money I want. And I put it in a proposal this week and I got it. And you hear a story like that and you think... I never really connected how public speaking training can help someone recognize their worth more, but it's all connected. Every time you build confidence in yourself through your actions and doing things you think you can't do, it translates in other parts of your life. And, you know, other women are like, hey, you know what? I I left a bad relationship I've been in for 10 years because I finally stood up for myself and said what I want. And I just get chills when I hear stories like that because I think this work is that powerful that it really does change lives. And so many women are starting businesses and they're writing books because they really believe that their story is valuable. And it's all coming from showing up and giving speeches and giving feedback and being part of a really close-knit community of women who are empowering each other. You just answered one of our questions, which is how is what you're doing going to change the world? I love it. And (laughs) I think we're going to have a lot of listeners that want to connect with you and the Speaker Sisterhood and maybe even find one in their area. And I know you have a virtual one as well. So can you tell us how we can help you find you online and connect um, our listeners to you as well? Well, um, thank you for offering the help. I think the best way to help me is to, if you're listening, if you have a fear of public speaking, is to ask yourself, honestly, is this holding me back in my life? Is is not speaking up in different areas something that is stopping me from living my dreams and accomplishing my goals? And 
getting to that place in your life that you feel like you can get. If so, then Speaker Sisterhood is a great place for you. And you can find us online at speakersisterhood.com. And as Emily said, if there isn't a club in your community, you can check out our virtual club. We have members from all over the country who come together via Zoom and give speeches from their living room. And it's just as effective because you're still in front of an audience and you're still doing the work. So it really is meaningful. I also have a podcast called Claim the Stage, as Emily mentioned, and that's all about public speaking and talk a lot about speaker sisterhood in there. And uh, we have a book coming out in November called Secrets of the Sisterhood, which is 45 speeches delivered by members in the clubs, all about love, truth, and power. And they are so moving and inspiring and special and I can't wait for the book to come out so it's another way to connect with us and just be completely inspired by what the work that these women are doing I'll be sure to share all of those things in the show notes too so that people can click and connect awesome um thank you so much for joining us today this was awesome and I think you have such valuable things to say I know you bring on great podcast guests because I listen to your podcast and thoroughly enjoy it thank you Yes, thank you, and congratulations on the baby. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Have a great day. Have a great day. You too. For more information on the She Built This podcast, you can check us out online at www.shebuiltthis.org. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.